And now, Father, I pray for us, your spirit upon us, Lord. Let your word only be spoken and your word only received. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. What, what kind of relationship with God do you want? Do you ever think about that? Now, if you're alert this morning, you think, well, that's kind of a lawyer's question. Like, when did you stop beating your wife? It's, 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 it's a double question, isn't it? It assumes that you might want a relationship with the Lord. But I have a reason for that assumption. We're all in church this morning together, right? And so you must want some relationship with God. I mean, if you go to somebody's house and spend an hour or two, you're expecting the relationship. And when we're in God's house, so what sort of relationship with him do you want? I'm going to end with that question. But in the meantime, to understand what we might want, we need to understand what it is that the Lord wants in a relationship with us, with his creatures, with the likes of you and me. What is he after in relationship with us? And that's what we can see in our lessons this morning. The first thing we see that he wants from us or with us is a personal relationship, a personal relationship. We can see that in the woman in the crowd who's been suffering with this issue of blood for 12 years. Uh, she's had a terrible time. In her, in her culture, she would have been treated as unclean, an outcast, cursed, like a leper. If she had been married at some time, she was probably alone now. And Mark says she'd spent all of her money on bad doctrine. And she's heard about Jesus and his healing. And notice she comes up behind him. She knows her place in life. You can't come up beside him or in front of him. You come up behind him to touch his robe, thinking that it just might make her well if she could just grasp the hem of his garment. She does, and the bleeding stops. Now, she's not really looking for a relationship, if you think about it. She wants to touch and be healed and go home. Jesus wants the relationship, personal relationship. It's hugely important to him. Think about what he does. He's on a life and death mission here. He's charging through the crowd, pushing his way through, trying to get to this young girl who's dying. And then he stops, and he asks what would seem to others to be a ridiculous question. Who touched me? He's pushing through a crowd of people. Everybody's touching him. The disciples are a little frustrated. What do you, why do you ask a question like that? Everybody's touching him. Even the disciples don't get it. And imagine what Jairus is thinking. My daughter's at the point of death. Moments count. And here's this rabbi turning around asking silly questions about who touched him. I don't know how long the interchange with the woman took, but some moments, because she had to come forward, she had to decide to come forward, come forward, he had to question her, she had to tell the story. It was long enough for Jairus' daughter to die. That's how important this interchange is to Jesus, that there be a personal relationship with him. And remember, he said, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. It's not just Jesus demanding a personal relationship, it's the Father's desire as well, that we would have a personal relationship. He's not... Our God is not in the business of dispensing his, his healing and his mercy and his grace remotely on an impersonal basis. He's not a, a vending machine where we can take our, our little coin or our dollar bill today and put it in and pull a crank and get our healing or a snack or whatever. Just touch the robe and be healed and go home. No, Jesus, at seemingly a tremendously high cost, a huge cost to Jairus, who has to suffer the news here that his daughter's dead, at that sort of cost, Jesus pushes through to get a personal face-to-face, heart-to-heart encounter with this woman. She was afraid she had backed away, but in, at Jesus' urging, she comes to him. Trembling in fear, she knows what she is in the culture. She's an unclean person, but she comes and falls at his feet 
And Jesus honors her. He loves her. He blesses her. He affirms her. He says, he doesn't say woman. He says, daughter, faith has made you well. Go in peace. He says, be healed of your disease. He's insistent that she come to hear him, to speak with him, to see his face and his love for her heart to heart. And it was that faith that healed her. And she was healed, I would submit to you, with far more than this issue of blood. He says to her, peace be with it. That's shalom. That's God's peace. Peace with God. He's offering her life itself for her faith. This is our God. He insists on a personal relationship with him. He doesn't do superficial or casual or occasional or distant. He offers up close and personal, face to face, heart to heart. That we would know him personally and know his love and his forgiveness and healing. It's what Jesus came to do, to die. That we, you and I, could be clothed with a white robe and so we could approach the Lord face to face. It's what he came to do, to die for our sins that we might be a fit vessel for his presence with us by his Holy Spirit. Intimate. Another thing the Lord asks of us in our relationship with him is trust. Not just belief. We always talk in the church about believing. Yes, I believe this and I believe that. Well, yes, belief is important, but trust is what he's after. Trust where we're relying on him. Daily reliance on him and not on ourselves. Our Lord is somewhat intolerant on this topic, as you may have experienced in your life. He requires trust, dependence, and is intolerant of our self-reliance. And I don't know how your life is. I look back through my life. And it looks like a series of events where God continually forced me to trust him, to rely on him, to cry out. Our psalmist experienced this. He says early in the psalm that the Lord raised him from near death. He was at the point of death, and the Lord raised him. And then he says he was feeling secure. And he thought, hey, now I'm as strong as a mountain. I'll never be disturbed again. Read between the lines. He's saying, I'm good. I relied on God, and I'm all set now. I don't need that anymore. What happens next? God withdrew from me. To what end? Well, then the psalmist cried out to God again. He comes back to the Lord, dependent, relying on again. And then he says, God turned my wailing into dancing and gave me joy in the place of my sackcloth. And now, he says, I will praise God forever. He's been made dependent again. God asks for our dependence upon him. God wants relationship, intimate, personal, and he wants it to be a relationship trust. Jairus learned it in a very painful way. He's overcoming great prejudice and bias to go to Jesus. By this point, Jesus has become, in the eyes of the Jewish leadership, of the rabbis and the leaders of the Jews, Jesus is working for the devil. His powers are from Satan. He's not to be honored. He's, he breaks the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. He, he hangs out with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors. Jairus is desperate. Think of it, you parents. A child's dying cut off your right arm. You would die yourself in their place if you could. So Jairus, you know, grits his teeth and goes to Jesus. He's a healer. Maybe he can do something. And he gets, he begs him, and Jesus is coming. And then in the midst of that, Jesus has this inexplicable stop where he converses with this unclean woman and Jairus' daughter dies. What would you be thinking? Maybe anguished, maybe angry. And Jesus turns to him. Jesus knows what's going on. He turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Just Trust me for your daughter. I know it looks dark, but don't listen to that. Trust me. And I don't know what was in Jairus' mind, but he, he takes Jesus home. And he and his wife go up to the dead girl's room with him. There is a measure of trust there. Of course, Jesus takes her by the hand and raises the dead. I think maybe Jairus is a good Jew. He probably knew Psalm 30. 
You turned my wailing into dancing, my sackcloth, my grief into joy. I'm sure he knew the book of Lamentations where the author writes, God doesn't reject us forever. It is good to wait patiently and trust in his salvation. His mercies are new every morning. How great is his faith? God wants personal relationship. He wants a relationship built on our trust, that we would entrust whatever is dear to us, to him. And then last, and certainly not least, he wants a relationship that's infused with gratitude. Our attitude toward him is an attitude of gratitude, of thankfulness, of, of appreciation, true appreciation for what he's done for us in Christ. We see that in the reading from Deuteronomy where the Jews are encouraged to take care of the poor, to be generous out of gratitude to what God has done. We see it in the epistle this morning where Paul is calling on the church in Corinth, which is relatively better off than some financially, and he's calling on them to give out of their abundance to support the church that's struggling financially. And he says to do it, not out of guilt or compulsion, but out of gratitude. Out of gratitude to Christ for the generosity of Jesus who became poor for us, poor to the point of a humiliating, agonizing death on the cross, so that we might be rich, rich in eternal life. It's a challenging word, I, just as an aside. I mean, we in the United States, I won't pick on St. John's, but generally the church in the United States is fairly well off compared to most of the churches in the world. And Paul here is, uses some strong language about trying to strike some sort of balance. What, what would it take for us as a church or a church in the U.S. to, to strike some balance with a church in the Sudan or in Ethiopia or most of the third world? But even more challenging, perhaps, is to our own hearts. Do we live in an attitude of gratitude toward the Lord for what he's done for us? So back to my first question, what sort of relationship do we want, you and I, with the Lord? What he wants, in fact, I would submit this morning that it's all that he offers is a personal relationship, a relationship that's heart-to-heart -heart and face-to-face, -face, a relationship that's built on trust, where we have entrusted our lives and everything dear to us to his sovereign will. Finally, a relationship that's infused with gratitude. If you think about it for a moment, a personal relationship, trust-filled and, and thankful, those three aren't separate. Not in my experience, not, I think, in the Scripture's experience. If we have a personal relationship with Him, we've entrusted ourselves to Him, and we are grateful. And if we're grateful for something, it's because, well, we know something of His mercy, and we've entrusted ourselves to Him, and we have that personal relationship. And if we've entrusted ourselves to Him, then we know it's personal, and we're grateful. They're interwoven, personal, trusting, thankful. Is that the relationship that we want? And I pray that it is for all of us, for each of us, that it is that. That's what we seek because that's what he offers. And in that relationship, there is life. In there alone, there is life. That's where our grief turns to joy and our wailing turns to dance. That is the relationship.